Chapter Twelve of Curiosities of Olden Times. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in April two thousand and twelve. Curiosities of Olden Times by Sabine Baring Gold. Chapter Twelve. Some Crazy Saints. Two, Saint Nicholas of Trani. The life of this extraordinary man is given to us with much detail by two eyewitnesses of his doings. Bartholomew, a monk who associated himself with Nicholas, travelled with him, admired, and after his death worshipped him, wrote one of these lives. He had heard from the lips of Nicholas the account of his childhood and youth, and he faithfully recorded what he heard. Therefore Nicholas himself is our authority for all the earlier part of his history, whilst he was in Greece. For the latter part we have the testimony of Bartholomew, his companion, night and day. Secondly, we have an account of the close of his strange career by a certain Adalfert of Trani, also an eye-witness of what he describes thus there is every reason for believing that we have an authentic history of this man nicholas was the child of greek parents near the monastery of sterium founded by saint luke the stylite his parents were poor labouring people and a child was sent at the age of eight to guard sheep about this time he took it into his head to cry incessantly night and day kyrie eleison the mother scolded and beat him thinking that she might have too much even of a good thing but as he did not mend or vary his monotonous supplication when he had reached the age of twelve she angrily bade him pack out of the house and not come near her again till he had learned to keep his noisy cries to himself the boy then ran away to the mountains where he turned a she-bear out of her cave and settled himself into it, living on roots and berries, and climbing to dizzy heights, spent his days in yelling from the crags where scarce a goat could find a footing, Kyrie eleison. His clothes were torn to tatters, so that scarce a shred covered his nakedness, his feet were bare and his hair grew long and ragged. The poor mother, becoming alarmed at his disappearance, offered a small sum of money to anyone who would find the boy and bring him home. The peasants of the village scattered themselves among the mountains, caught the runaway, and at the mother's request took him to the monks of St. Luke's monastery to have the devil exorcised out of him, for she believed he must be mad. But Nicholas in his cave had one night seen come to him an old man of venerable aspect, with long beard and white hair, stark naked, who bade him be of good cheer and pursue his admirable course of conduct. Footnote. Monachus aspectu venerabilis, barba prolixa, corpore nudus, capillis canus. This old monk was St. Luke the Stylite, appearing in vision. And footnote. The monks of Sterium brought him into the church and endeavoured to exorcise the demon, first with prayers and afterwards with kicks and blows. 
Nicholas rushed from the gates of the church, shrieking, Kyrie eleison. He was brought back and shut up in a tower, with a slab of stone against the door to keep him in. During the night, the sleep of the monks was broken by the muffled cries of Kyrie eleison, issuing from the old tower. A thunderstorm burst over the monastery at midnight, and Nicholas dashed the door open, threw down the stone, and leaped forth, shouting between the thunder crashes, Kyrie eleison. The monks caught him, put shackles on his wrists, and thrust him into a cell. As they sat next day at their meal in the refectory, the door flew open, and in stalked Nicholas, with the chains broken in his hands. He clashed them down on the table before their eyes, and shouted, Kyrie eleison, till the rafters and walls shook again. The monks rose from table and thrust him forth, whilst they proceeded with their meal. Nicholas ran to the church, scrambled up the walls. How, no one knew, his biographer Bartholomew thinks he must have swarmed up a sunbeam, reached the dome, and, mounting to the apex, began to shout his supplication, Kyrie, eleison. When the reiterated cries from the top of the church cupola roused them and made sleep impossible, they came forth in great excitement. One, by order of the hegumen, or abbot, took a stout stick and, ascending to the roof by a spiral staircase, crawled after the boy, reached him, dislodged him, and with furious blows drove him off the roof. The monks now thought the best thing they could do would be to get summarily rid of the maniac by drowning. Papebroek, the Bollandist, at this point appends the curious note, if amongst ourselves, better instructed, it is customary to suffocate those who have been bitten by a mad dog, an atrocious custom, lest they should bite and hurt others, and this is regarded as a rough sort of mercy, is it any wonder that these rude monks should have supposed it proper to make away with a madman upon whom exorcism had failed to produce any effect? The monks accordingly tied the hands and feet of Nicholas, drew him down to the shore, threw him into a boat, rowed some way out to sea, and flung him overboard. But Nicholas broke his bonds as he had shivered the shackles, and, swimming ashore, reached land before the monks, and, mounting a rock, roared to them as his greeting, Kyrie eleison. Footnote the biographer thinks a dolphin must have bitten his cords and thus freed him. End footnote. The monks despaired of doing anything to him and abandoned him to follow his own devices. He ran wild among the mountains and constructed a little hut of logs and wattled branches for his residence. One day he descended to his mother's house and carried off a hatchet, a knife, and a saw, and amused himself fashioning crosses out of the wood of the cedars he cut down, and erecting them on the summit of rocks inaccessible to everyone else. On another occasion he carried off his brother, but the boy was so frightened at the wild gestures and cries of Nicholas that he refused to remain more than a night in his cell, and ran away home, to the inexpressible relief of his mother. Nicholas rambled over the country, dirty, dishevelled, and naked, asking and enforcing alms. 
he was well known to the monks of the monasteries throughout the neighbourhood as an importunate beggar at their doors the lonely traveller hastily flung him an offering glad to escape so easily on one occasion nicholas waylaid the steward of the monastery of sterium and arresting the horse he rode reproached him with stinginess the monk who was armed with a cudgel bounded from his saddle fell on nicholas and beat him unmercifully then mounted and joyfully pursued his road nicholas picked himself up and followed him at a distance with aching bone to the village where the steward slept that night then stealing to his bedside in the dark he roared into his ear kyrie eleison and woke him with a start of terror the monk jumped out of bed called up the house the watchdogs were let loose and nicholas fled from their fangs up a tree where he crouched till daylight on the feast of saint cosmas and damien nicholas went to the monastery of steriska to receive the holy communion but was repulsed as being in an unsound state of mind and driven out of the church where his religious emotions found noisy vent to the confusion of the singers and the distraction of the congregation nicholas was much distressed at the treatment he had received he cried bitterly and then resolved as he was despised in the greek church to secede to the roman obedience and according to his own account this excommunication was the reason of his flying from his native land to visit italy but he makes an admission which gives this pilgrimage west quite another complexion he started on his journey with a very pretty girl as his companion whom he seduced from her home whose hair he cut short with his own hands and whom he disguised in a male costume but the parents of the damsel anxious at her loss made search for her and found her to their dismay and disgust in company with nicholas dressed as a boy sharing his bed and board yelling kyrie eleison with him through the greek villages and making the best of their way to the sea to escape to italy it is not difficult to see through this incident as it comes to us with nicholas's own explanation the motive which nicholas gave afterwards to bartholomew to account for his running away from his native land was an afterthought he had formed this discreditable connection and the couple were escaping when caught by the parents and brought before the magistrates nicholas was tried for the seduction of the young girl according to the young man's own account the girl took all the blame on herself and nicholas was allowed to depart unpunished how far this is true we cannot say greece was now too hot for nicholas and he hurried to lepanto to take ship for italy there he met brother bartholomew who was so edified by his frantic piety and the odour of sanctity which pervaded the vagrant that he attached himself to the young pilgrim as an ardent disciple nicholas and bartholomew took ship and crossed over to otranto before entering the port however nicholas cried kyrie eleison and jumped overboard everyone on board ship supposed he would be drowned and brother bartholomew tore his beard with dismay but nicholas was not born to be drowned he came ashore safely and declared that he had seen a beautiful lady draw him out of the water by the hair of his head 
one day at otranto a procession was going through the town bearing an image of the virgin when nicholas who had walked for some time gravely in the train suddenly started out of it to make humble obeisance to an old man who attracted his respect see he is worshipping a jew exclaimed the people this strange fellow is no good christian bring hither the image then the madonna was brought before nicholas and he was told to bow before it he refused then the people fell on him with their fists and sticks and beat and kicked him into a ditch papebroek suggests that his reason for refusing to worship the image was humility hoping to draw on himself the indignation of the multitude and thereby acquire the merit of enduring insult and suffering wrongfully perhaps as a greek nicholas was unaccustomed to images other than pictures perhaps he did not understand the language of his assailants but probably he was actuated by no reason but a mad freak in the italian versions of the life of saint nicholas sold at trani this incident is omitted for obvious reasons leaving otranto nicholas came to lecce which he entered bearing a cross on his shoulders and uttering his usual cry he spent the alms given to him in the purchase of apples which he carried in a pouch at his waist and these he threw among the boys who followed him in crowds and shouted after him kyrie eleison the noise he made in the streets the uproar caused by the children was so intolerable that two brothers named john and rumtipert seized nicholas and binding him hand and foot locked him into a room of their house but he suddenly disengaged himself from his bonds and was again in the street calling kyrie eleison early in the morning he went under the windows of the bishop and broke his slumbers by his shouts the bishop ordered him to be severely beaten and driven out of the city nicholas went forth triumphantly bearing his cross shouting kyrie eleison followed by a train of capering boys roaring kyrie eleison and then bursting into pearls of laughter nicholas gravely turned cast a handful of apples among them and passed out of the gates he took up his abode outside the town and continued to astonish and edify the peasants who came into lecce to market one day an officer of the prince was issuing from the gate followed by a troop of servants nicholas rushed before his horse brandishing his cross and howling kyrie eleison the horse plunged and threw his rider and nicholas was well beaten for his pains at saint dimitri he was locked up in the church heavily ironed but at midnight he broke off his chains and entering the tower pealed the bells thence he went to tarentum where he stationed himself outside the bishop's palace under his bedroom window and through the night yelled kyrie eleison it was the duty of the bishop to watch and pray and not to sleep thought nicholas but the prelate differed from him in opinion and sent his servants to dislodge nicholas he returned to his post and continued his monotonous howls the bishop could endure it no longer and revenged his sleepless night on the back and ribs of nicholas already blue with the bruises received at lecce and saint dimitri and he was ignominiously expelled the city 
he proceeded thence to trani where he entered on twenty sixth of may one thousand ninety four carrying his cross and distributing apples among the boys who crowded about him and made a chorus to his cry the archbishop hearing the disturbance had him apprehended and brought before him he asked nicholas what he meant by his eccentric conduct the crazy fellow replied our lord jesus christ bade us take up our cross and follow after him and become as little children that is precisely what i am doing the archbishop began a long discourse but nicholas impatiently shook himself free from his guards and without waiting for the end of it bounded out of the hall to the head of the steps leading into the street crying kyrie eleison which was responded to by a shout from the boys eagerly awaiting him without at the head of a swarm of children he rushed madly through and round the city making the streets resound with his monotonous appeal and bringing the wandering citizens to their doors and windows but the blows he had received at tarentum had done him some serious internal injury and he now fell sick at trani there was hardly an inhabitant of the city who did not visit his sick-bed that he might hear the poor madman howl kyrie eleison with his fevered lips and depart marvelling at his sanctity the boys who had run after him and partaken of his apples came to see him, and the dying man gave them his cross and bade them march about the dormitory of the hospital where he lay, bearing the cross and vociferating, Kyrie eleison. Night and day the dormitory was crowded, and the excitement of the fevered man kept constantly stimulated. He died on 2nd of June, 1094, until his burial his body attracted ever-increasing crowds he was buried at trani with considerable ceremony for already the notion had spread that the crazy greek was a great saint and the infatuated brother bartholomew did his utmost to fan the growing popular enthusiasm into a flame almost immediately after the burial highly imaginative individuals began to believe they had been miraculously healed of diseases at his tomb he appeared in visions cured cripples uttered forebodings the archbishop of trani made formal investigation into the miracles after the manner of ecclesiastical investigations and pronounced them genuine trani was without a patron no blood of martyrs had reddened its soil no saint had occupied its episcopal throne it was discreditable to be without a patron and the good people of trani were not nice as to whom they had as a patron so long as they had one whom they could claim as peculiarly their own a statement of the virtues acts and miracles of nicholas was forwarded with gravity by the archbishop of trani to the pope and council at rome in one thousand ninety nine urban ii with equal gravity by special bull canonized this pitiable fool and hoaxed christendom into worshipping a man in whose career no single spark of godliness appears a man driven to all appearance from his own country for having led astray an innocent girl whom he persuaded to elope with him from her home and join him in his vagabond life. 3. St. Christina the Wonderful 
the life of this extraordinary saint so extraordinary that even those who canonized her the vulgar and ignorant called her the wonderful comes to us on the best possible authority her life was written by thomas de champre or catimpre born at Leuve in the low countries in twelve o one he was canon in the abbey of Catimpré, and then entered the Dominican order in the convent at Louvain, in 1232, and there thought theology. He was a contemporary and fellow countryman of Christina. He had all the particulars necessary from those who had seen and conversed with Christina, whom he survived by many years. Indeed, she died when he was aged twenty-three. Christina the Wonderful was born at the village of Brustheim near St. Trond in Hesben in the year 1150. When aged fifteen she was left an orphan, the youngest of three sisters, and spent her childhood in the fields tending sheep and cows. As now, so then, there were no hedges, and cattle sent into pasture had to be subjected to supervision, lest they transgressed into the land of neighbours. Christina was employed, as thousands of little girls have been employed since, in Germany and Belgium. It was a solitary occupation for a child, and she was thrown much in on herself, on her own thoughts, her own imaginations. Nothing remarkable about her was observed till she began to pass from childhood into womanhood, a critical period, and then it was that her malady first manifested itself. She fell down one day in a cataleptic fit and was taken up as dead. Her sisters, with whom she lived, had her washed, laid out, placed on a bier and conveyed to church, where the funeral mass was ordered to be said. Christina had been in a cataleptic fit or had been shamming death. All at once she scattered the funeral party and the worshippers by a leap of her bier in winding sheet with a shrill cry, and then by a scramble up one of the pillars of the sacred edifice, which she managed to surmount. She then got up upon one of the tie-beams of the roof, and there seated herself, as her biographer tells us, like a bird. The congregation, frightened out of their wits, ran helter-skelter in all directions. One of her sisters alone had courage to remain, or possibly knew enough of Christina's eccentricities not to be alarmed. The priest at the altar faltered, stopped, turned and looked about him, and went forward headlong with the service to the end. When he had retired to the sacristy, probably, Christina's sister came to him and explained matters. Anyhow, we learn that he reappeared in the church, showing no signs of fear, and very peremptorily ordered the young woman down from her perch, and demanded the reason of this extraordinary freak. Christina meekly descended, and on being again asked the reason of her proceedings, condescended to inform the priest that she had scrambled aloft to escape the strong odour emitted by the peasants which to her refined perceptions was especially repugnant. It must be admitted that it continues the same to the present day, and that to the noses of those who are not saints. Christina was now conducted home by her sisters and was given something to eat. 
when she had fed she told them a long and marvellous story of her having visited the regions of the dead she said that she had been in hell where she recognized the familiar features of a good many acquaintances no doubt of all such as had slighted and offended her in the past and were dead then she had visited purgatory where also she found herself among acquaintances after that she ascended to heaven where she was offered her choice whether she would remain there eternally or return to earth and there perform the meritorious work of liberating by her prayers and self-tortures the souls of those still undergoing purification in purgatory with the utmost heroism and self-denial she chose the latter alternative probably not to the satisfaction of her sisters who seemed to have regarded her as a self-willed troublesome piece of goods and would have preferred to have her at a distance as an intercessor in heaven than on earth an object of much solicitude and annoyance she speedily gave them cause enough to regret the choice that she had made for she took it into her head to race about the country leaping hedges climbing walls as she pretended to get away from the scent of man which specially distressed her she did not specify whether this odour was spiritual or carnal but left it to be inferred that moral turpitude was the most odoriferous she was repeatedly found on the tops of trees or on the summit of church towers balancing herself beside the weathercocks gasping for wholesome air naturally enough her relatives held her to be deranged and they proceeded to have her bound as mad folk were chained and held in bondage till comparatively recently but one night she broke away from her prison tore off her fetters declaring that the odour of man was suffocating her and ran away into the nearest forest where she swarmed to the tops of the highest trees and there gasped for untainted air there for a while her relatives left her she must starve or return to them as thomas of champre says she lived for a while like a bird among the boughs of the trees and though sorely in want of food would not return to association with odoriferous human beings her biographer gives us an outrageous story which accounts for the way in which she lived but in all likelihood she fed on eggs after five weeks thus spent she was recaptured and again put in chains stronger than before again she broke loose ran to lifege where she rushed headlong into the church of st christopher and insisted on the priest whom she found there giving her the holy communion he naturally enough demurred to do so her wild appearance with hair flying her galled wrists her flashing frantic eyes the condition of dirt and raggedness in which she was made him conclude that she was an escaped maniac he made an excuse and she was unable to force him to act against his conscience by any representation she made then as suddenly as she appeared so suddenly did she rush away again into another church where she frightened the priest into compliance but what was his disgust and dismay to see the communicant jump up leave the church in flying leaps and run as fast as she could tear down the steep hill that falls towards the meuse 
he hastily laid aside his surplice and stole and ran after her then he came on the priest of saint christopher who was also in pursuit and the two ran after her to the quay where she made a plunge went head foremost into the water and swam to the farther shore the meuse as any one who is acquainted with liege knows is no inconsiderable stream there and the two priests watched breathless and alarmed till the girl had reached the farther shore then only did they breathe freely christina's conduct became daily more outrageous she crept into baker's ovens and there howled with pain at the heat but would not come forth till dragged out by the heels sometimes she would run into a fire and kick the brands about with her bare feet when she saw water hot in large vessels for a washing in she leaped souse and then shriek with pain in winter she would run into the river and remain there squealing with cold till the parish priest came and ordered her out one of her favorite pursuits was to dive under the sluice of a miller's water conduit and to go with the water head over heels over the wheel these exploits attracted a crowd and excited her to renewed attempts not always most decorous but greeted with roars of approval and encouragement to reattempt the feat another of her freaks was to frequent the places of execution and climb the poles with wheels at top on which robbers and murderers had been broken and to writhe her own legs and arms in and out of the spokes with more dexterity than delicacy to amuse the vulgar rabble that followed and applauded her proceedings or she would provide herself with a rope and hang herself between two criminals on the public gallows with happy indifference to the savour the corpses emitted all these proceedings were she affirmed eminently grateful to the souls in purgatory and afforded them consolation and relief at night it was her delight to run through the streets of st trond with all the dogs of the town barking and snapping after her she led them a chase over the country running like the wind they tearing her tattered garments and also biting and wounding her limbs she however seemed insensible to pain in her enjoyment of the race finally when exhausted she went up a tree like a chased cat one great source of entertainment she provided during divine service was to coil herself up into a ball so that neither head hands nor feet appeared and so roll about the church then all at once when no one was expecting it snap out flew head feet and hands and she lay flat on the floor rigid as a log of wood all her limbs extended and motionless another of her devotional vagaries was to pirouette on one toe on the top of a paling whilst vociferously praying all which not only edified the living but afforded vast gratification to the souls in purgatory at length her sisters could stand her vagaries no longer her biographer candidly admits that christina puts them to the blush and they engaged a strong man to catch her and chain her up again he went after her and she ran unable to catch her he flung a club at her that brought her down and as was thought broke her thigh 
as she could not walk a cart was brought to the spot and she was placed in it and conveyed to a surgeon who had a bed of straw strewn for her in his cellar he put her leg in splints but to ensure her remaining quiet and not tearing at the bandages bound her hands and fastened them to a ring in the cellar wall in the night she succeeded in disengaging her hands then she ripped off the bandages threw away the splints and stood up her thigh was not broken she got a stone and with it broke away through the wall of the cellar and escaped into the open country once more after this her relatives gave up all further attempts to control her finding herself unmolested she ventured back to the haunts of men and begged for food or whatever she required if refused what she wanted she became angry and took it few dared resist her importunities or violence when she had a sleeve of her gown torn off she went to the first woman she encountered and asked for hers if not at once given she rushed at the person and with teeth and claws tore the sleeve off the gown and then with crazy laughter she slipped her own bare arm into it her dress was a mass of tatters and incongruous patches soon on with willow-bark thread or pinned together with thorns her hair dark utterly uncombed hung wildly about her head and fell over her tanned dirty face her limbs were covered with scars one day she visited the parish church of Velen near St. Trond, and finding the cover off the font and the sacred vessel pretty full, since the recent benediction of the sacred water, with one jump reached the brim, and then flopped herself down in the hallowed water. This, says her biographer solemnly, had the effect of subduing in her the more extraordinary manifestations of ecstatic devotion and after this souse in the baptismal water she professed herself less distressed by the odour of human beings she was not gracious to those who gave her food as she ate what she had begged she growled why am i eating this nastiness why am i thus plagued and told them that what they gave her tasted like the insides of newts and toads her biographer assures us that she avoided with the utmost solicitude all human honour and praise but it would be hard to find that either was shown or offered her whilst alive for then she certainly was esteemed crazy only after her death did it occur to people that she was a saint in her old age she was often given shelter by the kind sisters of saint catherine at saint trond and she returned their hospitality by her amusing antics one day as she was talking with them she suddenly curled herself up into a ball and began to roll around the room like a boy's ball without any token of her limbs appearing then all at once she expanded flat on the floor and when triloquized no voice or breath issued from her mouth and nose but only her breast and throat resounded with an angelic harmony she concluded this exhibition by singing the te deum from the pit of her stomach and then jumped up and ran away 
we can understand that at a time when hysterical disorders were completely misunderstood such marvellous contortions and tricks were reputed to be due to spiritual agency either divine or diabolic towards the close of her days she spent most of her time in the convent of st catherine and she was there when attacked by her mortal sickness when she was apparently insensible the superior sister beatrice said to her christina you have always been obedient to me return now to life i have something i desire to ask of you then christina opened her eyes and said why have you disturbed me be quick i cannot tarry tell me what you want that i may be gone then the superior put the question received her reply and the next moment the poor clouded spirit fled she died on twenty fourth of july twelve twenty four at the age of eighty four twenty five years after her death an old woman told the superior i have come to you with a divine revelation to say that the body of that most holy woman christina is not receiving proper respect from you if you neglect to give it sufficient honour it will fare ill with you on the strength of this vague message the body of the poor old creature was dug up and enshrined Miracles attended the elevation of the bones, and thenceforth St. Christina the Wonderful came to be regarded as a saint in the Low Countries. Her body is still preserved as that of one of the elect of God in the church of St. Catherine at Milin, near St. Trond, and her name has been inserted in a good number of martyrologies, amongst others that of France. It is not in the Roman martyrology, where, however, she has a better right to figure than have St. Simeon Salus and St. Nicholas of Trani, who were loose fishes, as well as fools. End of chapter 12